October in Bridgehampton, Long Island. Gorgeous summer homes are mostly closed till the spring. Nary a celebrity now, but the locals are around. Most have been year-round residents for generations. A few others are simply oddballs. And some, just a few, are dead. Lyle Hall, seated in the back of a van, distinctly heard the whispers hissing from this ancient Victorian, a wreck, an eyesore, a graffiti magnet. Women hiding in fear, he imagined, inside this old house with a rickety no trespassing sign and brand new town of Southampton condemned signs. Its ill repute still lingered. The place was once a brothel. But the soft voices seemed intent on communicating with Lyle. They did not speak English, but he was more than a little flattered, and his pulse quickened. They could not be alive. Fred, pull around the block again, please. I want to park in front of the old house we just passed. Fred, Lyle's driver, is used to the man sitting in the back changing his mind, especially after Lyle's savage car crash a year ago when his Hummer killed kindly old Elsie Cronk. Lyle almost died, too. But after surgeries and an arduous physical therapy regimen, he was now attempting the impossible, to walk again. Fred, returning Lyle from his physical therapy, pulls up in front of the haunted whorehouse everyone in Bridgehampton calls Old Vic. His vehicle, called a vanbulance, is embarrassing, fitted out for transporting invalids. Lyle lowers his window and listens. The decrepit Victorian, with its wraparound porch, shutters hanging off or fallen, all windows broken, is bathed in the fleeting Maxfield Parish glow of an autumn sunset. Nothing to hear. Just a chilly breeze and crinkly leaves. Lyle's accident ruined his lumbar, left his legs seemingly dead, but it also gave him something he'd never dreamt of, a strange empathy for people's feelings. He could now read them. And now, as darkness creeps all around him, Lyle gets feelings from this house. Cold dread, fear, and shame. And something more, something he cannot put his finger on beckoning him. Suddenly, a lone voice penetrates his solar plexus, hollow, disembodied. It's a girl, adolescent, imploring, and dead. This phrase, bittersweet, coming from a girlish voice, surely means something gravely important. Lyle, touched and weirdly proud to be singled out, tries to memorize the syllables. What was that? What was what, Mr. Hall? Oh, nothing, Fred. But it's not nothing. Lyle suddenly experiences a startling exhilaration, tingles up and down his legs like thousands of pinpricks. Unexpected, but something he's prayed for since his accident, even though he's not a praying man. This is a sign of life. Eyes trained on old Vic's front door, he rubs both legs, hoping the feeling might grow, and hoping this girl will show herself. Please, repeat that. Fred stares via the rear view at Lyle Hall, his boss of many years. He's rubbing his legs, his head partway out the window. This is some weird shit, client talking to an old house. But Fred is a professional. Please, 
After what feels like an eon, the voice returns, hollow and doleful. Lyle feels feverish. Aiuto, aiuto, Jewel. Jewel? Is Jewel your name? Aiuto. What do you want from me? The voice is fading. Trying to will feeling back to his legs, Lyle strains to see anything on Old Vic's porch, a face, anything at all in the fading light. Then he does. An image appears, slowly at first. It floats closer to Lyle, a girl's face. So this is Jewel, dark hair done 1880s style, wearing a stained white Victorian dress. She's very pale. Her gaunt face and forlorn, cold, dark eyes remind him of Anne Frank's photo. But this girl's expression speaks of one who's known bottomless sadness and loss. Now a bulky object rises up in front of her, and she fades away. But this thing should not rise. It's a tombstone. Coming into focus, Lyle can make out a painfully familiar inscription. Belinda Hall, beloved mother. Lyle, drunk at that time of his wife's passing, forgot to add beloved wife. But there's a problem. Lyle feels truly paralyzed now, frozen in his seat. He forgets his legs and the needles. He cannot look away from the tombstone as an unseen hand etches a new name, his daughter's. Georgia Hall, beloved daughter. This is a sickening sight. Lyle's daughter Georgie, a strong-willed tough cop recently made detective, is not ill. Her date of birth appears. Even more disturbing, it's correct. She's just 30. Lyle's heart pounds now at the sight of a horrifying new inscription, Georgie's date of death, four days away. Acid involuntarily refluxes up Lyle's throat and he coughs. <coughs> Fred, get us out of here. Now, please, take me home. Fred, oblivious to Lyle's backseat drama, does as asked. The van underway, any remaining tingles vanish as Old Vic recedes in the shadows. Lyle's house is an anomaly in Bridgehampton, an aging ranch, and it faces the Bridgehampton Cemetery. Inside, it's a hodgepodge of modern and traditional decor. It was never fully renovated. Da, his second wife, gave it a shot, but their marriage dissolved acrimoniously, and not a single room was finished. Instead, we have a jumble of things of interest to one particular 55-year-old, like the Torquemada, an exercise contraption with pulleys dangling in the arch leading to the never-used dining room. Lyle's nest in the living room has many amenities within reach. Laptop, TV remote, coffee maker. Yes, in the living room though coffee is now verboten, and a wheelchair he dearly wishes to be rid of. Lyle's laptop has Fearnet up, a creepy web page he found where weirdos discuss haunted houses, including Old Vic. He fumbles with his iPhone, teasing out an old frenemy's number. Got it. Noah? It's Lyle Hall. Noah Craig and Lyle, boyhood friends in Bridgehampton, 
parted ways as young adults. Noah became a local college history lecturer and a preservationist, and Lyle became a voracious real estate lawyer. Lyle defeated Noah and the preservationists in court cases regularly over many years. I know it is, but why? I, you, touchy. Lyle, something's been very wrong with you for a long time. Can you tell me what that means? I, you, touchy? Maybe Italian. The two men have not had civil discourse for years. It's quite late now for normal people. Well, think about it, would you? You know some Italian. I know some Italian people, Lyle. Being a civilized man. Listen, maybe I can find some phonetic translation app, but not tonight. Tomorrow morning? Why the rush? The town of Southampton is tearing down Old Vic. Huh? Non sequiturs, too. I know it's coming down. Everyone knows. So? Well, I can't let that happen. Why is that? Have you reversed the polarity in every cell in your body? Possibly. I heard those words spoken in a girl's voice, coming out of Old Vic. Today. Old Vic, known to all to have bad mojo, is speaking to you. There it is. Mojo. Lyle knows Noah well from their adolescence and high school days. In college, they experimented with a recreation that goes along with rock concerts. The jargon, too. Noah, this is serious stuff. It was blood-curdling to hear. But yes, you're right. A very old house with a young girl's voice. I so often am right. Basically, you're telling me Old Vic is haunted, as has long been rumored. I am. And you're not crazy? Or on any mind-altering meds? Not presently. Noah, how about you research the house tonight, and we meet for coffee tomorrow? I'll buy. Oh, free coffee. Do I smell desperation? Okay, Starbucks. Lyle leans a crutch against a wall nearby Noah's too small table and stiffly seats himself as customers come and go. The place is busy. Up all night, Lyle's a disheveled mess. Noah's already nursing a coffee. And despite his retirement from teaching history at Southampton College, he's wearing a tie-it-yourself bow tie, a wool blazer with elbow patches, too. Sorry I'm late. Getting places can be a challenge. Is that a beard? Lyle doesn't respond. His new beard covers a scar across his jaw. He's touchy about his car accident. Most locals are convinced Lyle caused the crash. Lyle knows he was trying to avoid Elsie Cronk by swerving into Bridgehampton's big war monument on Montauk Highway. You're holding up well for a man widely believed to be at death's door. Thank you for the flowers. Sorry, they were funereal. Death's door and all. <laughs> I still get mail at the morgue. Fred is still driving you. Yeah, yeah. He's good. And he tells no tales. His vanbulance or whatever is embarrassing, but... Maybe try a motorcycle with a sidecar attached for you. Lyle rolls his eyes. Goggles, a snood scarf billowing behind you a la Isadora Duncan. Noah, I, you, touchy. You want that translated from some unknown language? Lyle nods earnestly. Noah peers into his bloodshot eyes. He sees a man, unshaven, in need of a shower, telling his truth. 
a man full of fears, exhausted, but charged by a strange animating excitement too. Such as Italian. In Italian, that phrase would simply mean, help us. Lyle's eyes narrow. He slaps the tabletop a little too hard. Customers look over as a rush of emotion flows through him. This is vindication. He's not crazy. Someone needs his help. She's dead, but still. Good Lord, Noah. That makes it all make sense. I knew you'd figure it out. Of course. Old Vic, a horrid eyesore even I would not care to preserve, is finally being demolished, and you, of all people, hear a dead girl's voice speaking to only you from inside the house. Total sense. I have to go back there. Now, to learn more. Enjoy your day. Oh, you're coming with me. I have a life, Lyle, in the real world. I know, I know. You're researching a coffee table book about the history of Long Island's East End. But this, this house, this girl, you can add it to your book. Make it less, uh... Boring. I know that's what you're thinking. Your word, not mine. Come on, come with me. Fred at the wheel, Noah riding shotgun, Lyle in the back, the van rumbles along. Lyle cradles a paper cup of black coffee with both hands. Noah looks back. You're drinking that like a political prisoner. It's that precious? I'm not allowed caffeine. This is my first since... Since Georgie took over your life. Georgie Hall, Lyle's daughter, is 30. She's a newly promoted Southampton police detective. No nonsense. She's had Lyle's number since she was a girl, and her mom, Belinda, was dying of cancer. Her father could have been more solicitous, but he reacted to Belinda's predicament by overserving himself. During the past year, Georgie found she was in an unenviable position, looking after the man who did not look after her mother. Basically, yes. I kind of appreciate the attention, though. But no alcohol either. Doctor's orders. Noah quotes the Eagles. Losing all your highs and lows. I'm sure medical science knows what's best for Lyle. Fred pulls up slowly in front of old Vic. All three take in the scene differently. Noah as a historian, Lyle as a real estate lawyer, Fred as someone calculating when he'll get off today. The Victorian appears even more foreboding in daylight because more peeling paint, loose boards and creepy nooks and crannies are visible. The condemned signs are everywhere, and now a front-loader tractor is parked off to the side in the weeds. Beyond that stands the even older barn. The barn is so rickety, light passes through its warboards. The three men are startled as something lumbers across the decrepit front porch. Ugly and built low to the ground, the creature is the size of a fat raccoon, but with a mangy grey-white coat and a face that looks... dead. Dragging a naked rat tail behind, it makes beady eye contact with Lyle, and his heart she, jumps. You see that? Then it's gone. What the? 1870s design, 1880s construction. <sighs> Past its prime for a hundred years. Place was pretty classy in its day. Mansard roof on the third story, cupola up top. Lots of chimneys, so lots of fireplaces. That went with the territory back then, Lyle. Likely a sea captain's house. Yeah? you know who built it or owned it? No, I researched this address this morning, 111 Poplar. 
And there's nothing. There are always records of real estate, dating back to the Magna Carta. Dating back to Hammurabi. There are reasons people want to hide something. Both men find their gaze drawn up top to the cupola. It stands like a vestibule or a small gazebo, a large oval oculus in each wall facing in four directions. The glass in each oculus was busted out long ago. Lyle clicks a few photos with his smartphone. Noah, let's go in. Look around. Maybe some other time. One must get to work. Yeah, I'd probably fall through rotten floorboards, lost forever. They'd eventually find your remains. Lyle looks at the parked earth mover. I have to stop that. Fight City Hall? Why? That girl's voice was so affecting. Oh, and no other reason. Nothing more personal. Noah is looking back at Lyle, his elbow over the seat back, searching his eyes for some substance. Just a disembodied girl's voice. Lyle grows very uncomfortable. This is not unlike his own line of questioning in court cases when he was trying to rattle a witness. Finally, Lyle stutters out a response. There was... There was one other strange experience. Noah stares at his old frenemy. All is quiet. Suddenly, Lyle blurts. Noah, I felt stirrings in my legs. Stirrings? Quadriceps, hamstrings, pins and needles. Like I might be able to walk again, unaided. Noah looks like he'll burst with satisfaction. He claps his hands with glee. There's the old Lyle. You think a ghost is transactional. Offering to restore strength to your legs in return for your billable hours. Lyle is beyond embarrassed. Maybe he deserves Noah's derision, but he won't be saying a word about Georgie's tombstone. Looking up at the van's rear view, he sees Fred eyeing him. Fred, let's take Noah to the Bridgehampton Library. He's got work to do. 